Hey, welcome to Truth Unbound, where we look at trends, issues, and hot topics in the culture or the church, and then examine it with God's word as to whether it's true or not from God or not. Well, I'm Walt Swaim, and I'm really motivated today to bring something a little different, but also alarming to you. Something that would normally go unnoticed on the surface, but it happens almost every single day, sadly enough. But you need to be aware of it, as it could be happening in your church or in your Bible study or in your seminary. In a recent podcast, we discussed why the decline of Christianity in the U.S. And in a recent poll, the most recent one being done in March, it said that patriotism, religious faith, having children, and other priorities that help define the national character for generations are receding in importance to Americans. And that was in a new uh, Wall Street Journal NORC poll. We discovered this decline was, of course, to the increasing effects of sinfulness of mankind. That's not news. Also, we know from prophecy that Jesus is coming soon. And Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, that these things would only increase. He said this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But today I'm going to show you a glaring example of what's been going on, and increasingly so, within the so-called church, which explains why the weakness comes from within the church more than outside pressures and challenges to the church. This, in turn, of course, destroys and has been destroying the effectiveness God intended for the church to have on the world with the gospel and his truth. Now, here's an example, not the major one I'm about to show you in a moment, but this is a well-known one. Uh, this is a prime example of the corruption of the teaching of God's word from prominent big Eva leaders and pastors in America. And here's Andy Stanley. Now, these are clips from 2016 and 18, but he continues to teach these same things. Listen to this. Watch this. There is no necessary conflict between evolution and theism because evolution is a means. Theism says there was an agent. There, I have one high school biology teacher, Christian, here. It's like, please, would somebody make this clear? I know this is like really important because people come home, kids come home from biology class, high school, like, well, you know, but evolution, no, we don't believe in evolution. We believe in creation. Wait, 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 wait. Hey, hang on. This is very important. The Genesis account of creation, the point of that isn't here's how God did it. The point of that is that God did it. And when religion and science conflict, at the end of the day, if you are an honest person, science must win. Once they could no longer accept all the historicity of the Old Testament, once they couldn't go along with all the miracles, once somebody poked a hole in the Genesis creation you know, myth, once all that went away, suddenly their house of cards faith came tumbling down because they were taught it's all true, it's all God's word, and if you find one part that's not true, uh-oh, the whole thing comes tumbling down, not Christianity. The Bible did not create Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus created and launched Christianity. Peter, James, Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures. And my friends, we must as well. Well, recently my eye caught this horrendous example. I stumbled on this of, of doctrinal compromise and weakness. 
and in the area of what we call hermeneutics, which is the art and science of interpreting the Bible. And I about jumped out of my seat. Now, this isn't frontline evangelical leaders or news, but it is the example of the undercurrent of false teaching that goes on in the evangelical church, most, most of it, a lot of it at least, across the states. And even with other topics and trends needing to be addressed, I felt compelled to show you this so you can identify it when you hear it or see it and how to protect yourself from it. This is from Bible Geek, created by Professor Dane Alexander Smith. Now, he appears winsome, well-educated, Christian, experienced Greek professor in a large seminary for several years. But I want you to watch and listen to this. Now, if you're shocked and thinking, surely Paul says that Jesus raised from the dead somewhere in one of his letters, you wouldn't be mistaken. Most English Bibles do say something like Jesus raised from the dead in Paul's letters. But in all actuality, when Paul wrote his letters, he said something different in the original Greek language. Let's look at Galatians 1.1, for example. Paul, an apostle, neither from humans nor through a human, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead ones. Now, you may have noticed that I translated what is typically translated from the dead as from the dead ones. The reason I did this is because the Greek phrase here is ek nekron. And nekron is a plural substantive adjective. So we should not actually translate this word as a state of being dead, but as something that describes a dead person. Literally, we should translate this something like from the dead ones, or from the dead women and men, or from the dead people. Now you may be thinking to yourself, why does it matter? Why does it matter that we translate this phrase from the dead ones instead of from the dead. Now I've known Greek for over 10 years. I've been a Greek professor for multiple years. I've taught dozens of people to read the Bible in the original Greek. And I've known this about this word for quite a while, that it's a plural substantive adjective. And I never really thought anything of it. I always just continued to translate it from the dead. That is, however, until I read Dr. Angela Parker's new book, If God Still Breathes, Why Can't I? Black Lives Matter and Biblical Authority. Dr. Parker insightfully demonstrates why explaining Jesus as someone who was raised from the dead ones has a profound impact on how we understand this phrase in the ancient context and in our own contemporary context. Okay, stop. Just, just stop right there. Now, this is what we call eisegesis, which is interjecting outside sinful man-based thinking and philosophy into the Bible and forcing the Bible in subtle ways to say what the author and God did not originally intend in the, at the least, in the least. Now, you need to read and be aware that of well-known theories and ideas that are circulating, but it doesn't mean that they're all valid or pursue or worthy of pursuing to the alternative of the plain reading of the text in the Bible. So let's rewind and look at what this Dr. Parker, uh, that Professor Smith mentions, and he himself are promoting. Now, again, this source of his is one argument from one person, this Dr. Angela Parker. What does she believe in? How does she interpret the Bible? Well, according to the description of her on the seminary website where she teaches, it says, quote, Dr. Parker merges womanist thought and post-colonial theory while reading biblical text. Okay, so what is post-colonialism and womanist theology, also called feminist theology? Well, post-colonialism is a Marxist-based worldview that claims that everything, okay, 
uh, in Western society, including the ways we interpret the Bible even to today, are all only from a dominant white Western European-centered and imperialistic worldview uh, and uh, colonial expansionist values. So its scholars try to remove all that, these post-colonial theology scholars try to remove all this supposed domination of the language by white Western Europeans as far back as the colonial times, and then try to correct it for today to see it from the colonialist viewpoint of that time. In other words, in place of the actual history and the grammatic and literal interpretation of the text, they use a preconceived uh, idea and presupposition and then interject it into the Bible and force the interpretation according to that philosophy and not from the Bible itself. Now, Dr. Parker predominantly is of womanist or feminist theology. Now, according to this Gospel Coalition article, which was, in this respect at least, very accurate, says that feminist theology claims to seek the equality, justice, and liberation of women from what it perceives to be oppressive male systems of power and domination in religion. It does not typically regard the Bible as the authoritative spirit-inspired word of God. Okay, so the lens they're, they're looking through is, n- again, not from the lens of a historical language, grammatical, plain reading of the Scripture itself. It's through the lens of these man and humanistic-centered worldviews. And that is not how you interpret the Bible correctly and accurately, okay? Well, let me give you another example, okay? Here's another one. The, the Galatians were known as people who had been forced to submit and been conquered by foreign powers. They were either expected to submit or to die. Dr. Parker argues specifically about the dying Gaul statue. In these contexts, the statue would have likely communicated the idea that the only good Gaul is a dying Gaul. When I present this image in church settings, I often tell people to substitute Gaul with fill in the blank. Immediately, church folk can hear the only good Indian is a dead Indian, or the only good N-word is a dead N-word. See my point? Oh, well, that's not all. Now, he is swallowing the proposition of Dr. Angela Parker, hook, line, and sinker, then extrapolates this as having this meaning, that that Jesus rose again because he rose again for those suffering social injustices at the time. Okay, well, look at one more clip to expose this. Yet Galatians 1.1 presents an alternative option and an alternative identity. Paul, an apostle, neither from humans nor through a human, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead ones. Dr. Parker argues from the dead ones, or even from the dead men and women, gives a slightly different connotation than from the no longer living. And it makes better sense in light of how the Galatians understood their identity in the Roman imperial context as the only good Galatian is a dead Galatian. Yes, God has raised Jesus as his son, but Jesus has also been raised from the midst of the dead women and men. Jesus, therefore, is the risen brother of the many dying and suicidal Galatians who have come before him. I find this thought liberating and hopeful, as Jesus is brother to many of us who may be in a state of dying as a result of imperial violence against black and minoritized bodies. And so Galatians opens with a spark of hope. For those who have been oppressed and marginalized, it's a spark of hope. 
for those who have been told you are better off dead, it's a spark of hope. Jesus is a brother to those who have been unjustly murdered and silenced. The resurrection of Jesus offers hope because it reveals that God is on the side of truth and justice, and senseless death will not have the final say. I really appreciate Dr. Parker's interpretation of Galatians 1.1 because it shows us why the resurrection of Jesus matters, and it shows us that black lives matter too. You should Once again, this is a classic example of eisegesis, which is not what the author intended or what God the Holy Spirit, the ultimate author, intended the passage to mean. The not-so-coded message here is that Jesus only rose again for you if you're a minority and not white, and this is heresy. Jesus didn't die and rise again from death itself to change society. The Bible clearly teaches that he died to defeat uh, sin and rise again to defeat death for everyone, no matter who they are. And the effect of that gift of, a, of forgiveness and eternal life is experienced by those who put their faith and trust in him, no matter what their social status is or skin color. It, it, and skin color, by the way, was not an issue in a darker skin color culture anyway from where the Bible was, in which the Bible was originally written anyway, culturally. So he is cleverly, Professor Smith is cleverly presenting a heresy, a violation not only of the text, but of the doctrine of Christ, of salvation, and other key doctrines. We don't have time to explain here. Red flags go up all over this. But this is what many of those training for ministry across so many denominations and even some non-denominational seminaries are learning and then taking it to their local churches here and across the world. The gospel is destroyed by this kind of Bible interpretation. It destroys that and the church is weakened and the power of the message of the gospel is lost. So what does this text in Galatians 1.1 really mean? Now, it's surprisingly simple and reads just as most of you understand it when you read it. But Professor Smith so confidently describes this as being translated as who raised him from the dead ones instead of the dead. The problem is no major translation done by hundreds of translators collectively together, respectively, translates it that way. The reason is even as an adjective, as Dr. Miss Smith says, it is describing the fact that Jesus rose again from those who are in a state of actual death, physically cease to live anymore. The emphasis is that Jesus physically rose from actual human bodily death, nothing more. Now, another problem with his and Parker's conclusions is that it breaks the number one rule in interpreting the Bible, and that is that the context is king. In other words, you step back and read the words around it to understand what it says in particular. Now, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The actual context here is that Paul is establishing from the very first verse, from the very beginning of his letter, that he is an apostle commissioned as such from the risen Lord and Savior and God, Jesus Christ himself. It's not about social justice or racial justice or critical race theory or intersectionality or womanist or post-colonial theologies. The verse is Paul simply clarifying his authority as an apostle because Jesus called him to this ministry and gave such authority to him as any of the other apostles. Period. Done. 
And Paul emphasized this at the start because evidence in the epistles show us some were trying to discount or reject his apostolic authority because he wasn't one of the original 12. So please be careful with anyone on social media or YouTube or video or internet or whatever source who seem to be authoritative and so knowledgeable and winsome in the word when they are not. Peter and Jude called those who do this, as we see in Jude chapter or Jude verse 12, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So in the end, it's simple. Always read and interpret the Bible in its context, in its plain sense, unless the words are obviously figurative. And discover what the author and God originally intended. You don't interject world theory, worldly theories into it and manipulate the text. Read it and live by it as God intended through the human authors he guided to write it. Well, I hope this helps you to be better equipped as a believer and to be aware and to be a good student of the Word of God. So if this and our other podcasts are helping you to walk more closely with Jesus and you want others to know and feel the same and know the same about God and his word, then click on like, click on follow, and then share a link to this podcast (laughs) with everyone today. And remember to follow Jesus, because when you do that, you'll always follow the truth.